This is Trinity Church of the Vale Valley, loving God, loving people, and living free. Hello, everyone. This is Pastor Ethan, and today's message was recorded live on Sunday, August the 20th, 2023, and this is the third message in the second part, so message three, part two of our journey through the book of Proverbs. Friends, have you ever, question to start us out, have you ever sought after something? I mean, not just like passively like a hobby, but really passionately for a sustained period of time, sought after something in such a way that it took energy, great thought, maybe resources. Um, Maybe this could be an experience, an answer to a question, Maybe a source of meaning, or you got the image of the person like hiking up and climbing the high mountain in the Himalayas to, you know, to get to the guru to, to ask him what is the meaning of life, right? Maybe maybe meaning in your life, companionship, perhaps peace and hope. How about God? Right. Have you ever gone through a journey or an experience in your life where you were, I mean, genuinely, passionately seeking after God? You know, I forget who I heard say this, um, but a great, really profound question to consider sometimes to ask a person if you're ready to engage in the conversation, if they answer it in such a way. But the question is, if there is a God, would you want to know who that God is? If there is a God, would you even more so, if it was even possible, want to know this God? You know, one of the great overarching themes of Scripture is that God invites us to seek Him, right? To know Him, to look for Him. When the Israelites were um, really on the cusp of being sent into the Babylonian exile. Okay, if you go back and read the historic, what we call the exilic period, the exile. Prior to that, the prophet Jeremiah wrote, and he said this, You will seek me and find me. Remember the rest of that? When you seek me with all of your heart. You'll seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Going into the New Covenant, to the New Testament, in Matthew 6, Jesus calls us to seek first the kingdom of God. When I was about 14 years old, I started learning how to play guitar and only got to a certain point, and that's as far as I got. But one of the first songs I learned how to play, because as soon as I could crank out a few chords, I would start playing at our youth group um, when we would get together in our small groups during the week. And I learned to play Seek Ye First. Right? Anybody remember that? with me. I'm not going to sing it because that would be brutal. But the second verse of Seek Ye First says, and it's actually a direct quotation from Matthew 7, is ask and it will be given unto you. Seek and you will find, right? Knock and the door will be opened to you. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Okay, right. Friends, what does it mean? You talk about large existential questions. What does it mean? What does it look like to seek God? Right? In your local Christian bookstore, if you could still find one today, you're like your local Christian website, it's full of books, right? Offering answers and strategies and different different approaches to that question. What does it look like? How do we go about seeking God? And many of these are very, very good. But friends, millennia before any of this was even thought about or written with all the resources we have today, in the opening pages of the Proverbs, we find an answer to this question. What does it look like to seek after God with all of who we are? 
Again, in Matthew 7, Jesus said, Seek and you will find. About a thousand years before Jesus said that, Solomon, writing in the opening of the Proverbs, said, Seek wisdom, and you won't just find wisdom. Seek wisdom truly with all your heart, and you will find God. So we are continuing the Proverbs. It's starting today in chapter 2, and we're looking at verses 1 through 11. Um, we've discussed a lot of this, and if this catches your interest, you might want to go back and catch some of the earlier message that we've done. All my stuff is online, the recordings, my notes, it's all, it's all there. You know, sometimes, not to get up in the weeds, I was going through my notes this morning, and I know some people actually use these. And, I mean, I've got misspelled where I'm like, what do people think when they read this? Who is this guy? Anyway, um, the, in the opening, in, in this, this, um, this lecture, really, that we have here in Proverbs, the form of it, as was the case last week, is the form of a parent, right? A father speaking to his son, speaking wisdom to his son. And we've talked about how if we just abstract that out, it's a picture of a parent, a loving parent, because sometimes the father and the mother are mentioned in both, speaking not just to their son, but to their daughters, to their child, imparting to them, right? Imploring them to open their heart, to open Open their ears to wisdom. So we're going to begin with verses 1 through 4, where the parent, our metaphorical parent here begins with a really big if. And this is what we read. My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, we're going to stop right there. It's just this opening section. This is an impassioned plea, but it's even stronger than we first may notice. Right? If we pay attention to the poetic structure here, what we can see is how the emphasis is building with each couplet, with each statement of the verse. Because this is a good example of Hebrew parallelism. Right? It's a, it's a poetic form, a poetic structure, where each verse has two lines, where the second line amplifies and expands the first. But not only this, as you read through these opening four verses, you will see that the first and second line of each verse really amplifies upon the, first, the corresponding first and second line of the second verse, and the third verse, and the fourth verse. So with that in mind, let's look at this again. It begins, a parent saying, My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, Okay. So this is a basic level, right? A first step of seeking wisdom. It's agreement. I will accept and remember what is said to me, right? And that's important, right? That's wonderful. But this is where the parent is just getting started because they continue the next step, right? Turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, right? Here, the call isn't just to hear, but to truly be attentive, right? To turn your ear, right? You're taking initiative. You're seeking after it. It's proactive. You're listening for wisdom. And you're not just storing up things within your memory. You're applying that wisdom to your life. And yet that's still not enough for the parent. For the next step is, indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, right? This is not just right, being attentive and looking for wisdom, right? Seeing where you see it. This is I'm really being proactive. Right? You're calling out for it. This moves from interest to passion, right? Acceptance of words has progressed to a deep cry for insight and understanding. 
And finally, the parent elevates the desire for wisdom above what has really always been the first place passion in the human condition. And that's money. When they say, and if you look for it, ask for silver. And search for it, as for a hidden treasure. I mean, listen as I just read the second line of each of these poetic verses. Um, If you store up my commands within you, apply that in your heart to understanding, cry aloud for understanding, search for it as for hidden treasure. What we see here is an increasing passionate cry to seek after wisdom in all of who we are. Or to seek after it as if it were the most precious thing that there could be. But when we do this, the parent says, when you seek with all your heart, you will find. Going on in verse 5, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Friends, that's the message of Proverbs, right? In one statement, really, in a single statement. When we seek after wisdom, knowledge, and understanding, and if we do this with a heart and mind that's open and teachable, with ears that are truly able and desiring to listen and hear, what we will find isn't just wisdom, won't just be wisdom. We will discover and experience the author of wisdom. This will lead us to God himself. And the language here is significant. Um, Solomon says that wisdom will lead us to understand the fear of the Lord. And that's always a tricky phrase, right, when we see that. But the image here is that when we come to see and experience the wisdom of God, the loving, humble, self-sacrificial character and nature of God, my friends, It will bring us to our knees. It will lead us to worship, to be in awe, right? To be humbled, to tremble, really. Not just before the power of God, but the power of God's love for his creation. But see, the Proverbs here asserts that the wisdom of God as well will open our hearts and our minds to the knowledge of God, right? To know God. We see that, again, throughout Scripture, especially in the writings of Paul in the New Testament. But sometimes when you see that word, to know God, you think of that. Just take a step back. And just especially when you're up here in our mountains. You know, and you just look around and think the significance of that statement. That God self-revealing Himself invites us to know the creator of the universe, the author of life. It's a profound concept, and it reminds me of what Paul prays in Ephesians chapter 3. Um, And this reference isn't in your notes, but at the end of Ephesians 3 in Paul's prayer, he prays that we may have power, many of you know this, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. To know that which cannot just be known through knowledge as we understand it. That we may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And so the parent cries out to their child, Seek after the Lord's wisdom and it will lead you to the Lord. And you will come to know Him. You will find the knowledge of God. 
Now friends, this brings us to a paradox here. See, so far our metaphorical parent has encouraged the child to search for wisdom as one would seek a life-changing hidden treasure. It's interesting on um, TV today, and it has been for, for many, many years, there are several shows that are all about people seeking um, hidden treasure. There's a show, I think it's on A&E called The, the Mystery of Oak Island. I don't know if anybody, you know, there's this legend, I've read about this legend of this literally a hidden pirate treasure on this island and who knows how many millions of dollars have been invested by different groups over tens and tens of years trying to find that hidden treasure because if they find it that will change everything and yet time and again scripture declares that God is overjoyed to reveal himself that God is right here inviting us to know him again back to Matthew 7 this is what Jesus describes Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. And then verse 8 says, For everyone who asks, what? Receives. The one who seeks will find. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Friends, this is what we now see as we continue in this proverb. Having exhorted the child to seek the Lord's wisdom, the parent now describes the Lord's response. When we seek seek God, seek the Lord in His wisdom, there is a response. Going on in verse 6. For the Lord gives wisdom. From His mouth comes knowledge and understanding. And the image here is the Lord freely giving wisdom. Right? This, this picture of God's mouth is a picture of God Himself, His presence, His nature, right? self-revealing, making Himself known to us. Well, how does God do that? Right? When I read this for the first time this week, when I was beginning my preparation, and I read verse 6, For the Lord gives wisdom. And I jotted down in my little notepad, how? What does that look like? I mean, really, when we are in the midst of life, well, just, just a few thoughts. One, of course, is God has given us his wisdom through his word, what we're doing right now, um, the, the, the totality, totality of it through scripture. Right? In the case of this text, Solomon here in the opening chapters of Proverbs is laying the foundation, is making the case for how everything that will follow in the Proverbs will yield this knowledge of God, bring the reader closer to God. We also see this through our comprehension of God's nature that we see in creation. It's a thought, the idea of general revelation. We've talked about that a lot over the years. We also see it looking into the new covenant, of course, by the Holy Spirit. God's presence in our life, convicting us, leading us, guiding us, and teaching us through his word. But friends, most of all, we have come now to see the manifold wisdom of God, the mouth of God speaking to us through the life, the death, the resurrection, and the ascension, the person of Jesus Christ. Let's hold that thought as we continue. The writer says, the parent now says, right, for the Lord gives wisdom, from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding, for he holds success in store for the upright. He is a shield to those whose walk is blameless, for he guards the course of the just and protects the way of his faithful ones. Now, friends, I've mentioned this in almost every message we've had thus far in Proverbs. Right? Many of the Proverbs are consequent statements, right? both positive and negative. They're this idea of sowing and reaping. If you do this, then this will happen. And if you do this very, very foolish thing, then this bad thing will happen. 
Here the picture is that when we seek the wisdom of God, we will come to know God, and God in turn will make our life better, right? Bringing success, protection, and guidance. And and as we've discussed, this is true, except when it's not. Okay, because as again, as we've discussed, I could tell you, as you could tell me, many stories of people who love the Lord and from any objective perspective are upright, right? More blameless than I am and probably who, than you are that are just and faithful and yet who have experienced great loss, injustice, and struggle. Right? The point that we've made here is that the Proverbs are not promises of outcomes. Rather, they are principles of truth. And as a principle of truth, when by our obedience and appreciation of God's wisdom, right, we are upright, we're not doing things that could bring blame upon us. We're living with integrity and living justly. And we are faithful in how we relate to people. Right? Life is better. Life is better. This is a picture of truth. But friends, here's the thing. This passage makes clear in the language that Solomon uses that the results of God's wisdom in our lived experience are not just the natural consequence of us making good decisions and us making good choices. Right? Solomon says that he, right, the Lord, he holds success for the upright. He is our shield. He guards our course. Right? The Lord protects the way of the faithful. I think one of, one of the reasons we wrestle with statements such as this is that our overwhelming tendency is to interpret this idea of God's work and God's blessing in temporary and circumstantial terms. But the truth here that is a promise, my friends, when you're living out of our dependence upon God, living in the wisdom, in the presence of God, right? It's our motivation increasingly. Is it, it's how his presence and his love for us brings about transformation in all of who we are. Then, in the midst of whatever life may bring, we will know the success of contentment, of contentment, of joy and peace in our minds. And God will be our shield from the traps of legalism, fear, performance-based acceptance, right? Self-condemnation. And God will guard and protect our hearts from the lies, the temptations, the distractions, and the hopelessness of the enemy. But continuing on, our parent now describes how the Lord, with all of this as a background, will guide the children, right, and us into every good path. Every good path. Going on in verse 9. And the parent says, Then, then you will understand what is right and just and fair. Every good path. My friend, what, is, what are these paths? What is every good path? You know, I believe um, one argument that you could make, interpretation here, is that these are the paths of God's character. The paths, right, from the perspective now as followers of Christ and the new covenant, the paths of the Spirit, right, the paths of kindness, compassion, the path of generosity of spirit and life, right, the paths of mercy and forgiveness, the path of patience, of being able to listen and consider, the path of empathy, 
Right? It's whenever and however life may find us. When we are walking these paths, these will be the paths of a contented right, and richness in heart of life. There's a line in one of my favorite songs from the 80s that echoes in a negative sense what the, what the parent says next. Listen to what they say, going on in verse 10 and 11. For wisdom will enter your heart, and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will protect you, and understanding will guard you. Right. Knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Um, the song that I remember singing, memorizing, it's one of my favorite groups. I'm not going to tell you who it was um, back in the 80s. But th this, is a, this is a line that they wrote. And this is just a secular, secular rock band. But they said this. Quick to judge, quick to anger, slow to understand. For ignorance, prejudice, and fear walk hand in hand. Now, bear with me, my friends. If our convictions... What we think is true, the way that we think and feel about people around us, if that causes us to be fearful, right, miserable, angry perhaps, and cast us in opposition to the very people that God has called us to love, to be an ambassador with the truth and goodness of Christ, my friends, that way of thinking is not the wisdom of God. For in powerful contrast, what we see here is that the wisdom and knowledge of the Lord is pleasant. It is life-affirming. It will be courageous and loving, not afraid. It will yield within us a desire for understanding. Right? And, and increasingly set us free from the rigidity of, of dogmatism where we're unable to wrestle with things and consider things right, and really listen to people. It will lead us into hope to being a living presence of God's grace and His peace, His love and His truth. And finally, the parent ends this section by telling the child that our protection and our guard... It's not the systems of, these, of this world, even though these systems may be important, but our protection and our guard is the wisdom and the discretion, the insight, the understanding that comes from a life yielded to the goodness and the presence and the wisdom of God. So, what we have seen here today in this passage is the parent begins by urging their child to seek after wisdom with all of who they are. And the image being that if we really do, right, passionately, increasingly so, right, that wisdom is out there waiting to be found. And that is truth to us. But friends, it's not the complete truth. Right? It's not the complete truth. For when we consider this concept through the lens of Jesus, we find something even greater. Right? Rather than God's wisdom and presence being like this kind of divine game of hide and seek, in Christ we see God taking the initiative to come to us. As he stands before us saying, Here I am. Come to me. I know you are hurting. I know you are broken. And so I have come to you when you would not come to me. So come to me. Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 11. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, 
and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Um, Friends, I know that you know this. You experience this in your own world, maybe within your families, maybe your friends, your people that you work with, your social circles. But our world is full of people carrying crushing burdens, um, sometimes self-imposed, sometimes not. Um, and my, my new path in, in my life, I see every day um, people um, with very difficult health burdens, but often the, the health burdens they have are a result of just lifestyle um, choices that they've made. Um, every morning when I'm at the hospital, I begin the day by just like, here's my patient list and kind of see what's going on with them. And I'll read just a bit to try to understand where this person is before I go in to speak with them. And time and again, you say anxiety, depression, right? Anxiety, depression. Um, any given day, we have at least two people suffering from severe alcohol poisoning and alcohol withdrawal in our ICU at, at, our, at our hospital. And, um, and, and again, I know many of you have experienced something like this. Is you go in and you want to speak to a person that is at the darkest point of their life. Right? Maybe they're there because of a failed attempted suicide. Right? And they've got this burden that is causing them to despair of life itself. It's like, how do I tell them? How do we communicate this amazing invitation of God to cast our burdens upon Him? For just one thing I would say, may we, may, may we be cognizant and think of how we live our lives, how we speak, what we say, that we are building bridges to the hurting people of our world. And not building barriers between our faith and the gospel and the people of our world. Because the world is full of hurting people. And this is a profound invitation. But friends, to accept it, and this is why many people don't want to, they don't want to hear it. Because to accept Jesus' invitation to cast our cares upon him, there's a place our heart has to go. We have to be humbled. We have to be willing to be humble. We have to surrender. This is the prayer that Melinda led us in. We must surrender our right to be right. You know, it's been said that at times the greatest barrier preventing us from experiencing the presence of God is our own perceived ability to make life work on our own. Because if I can make life work, right, why do I need God? And what is that? That's pride. And to come to the Lord, to come to Christ and enter into His rest... We must lay down our pride. And that leads me to where I want to end. And it's from James chapter 4, verses 6 through 10. And we read, That is why Scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. So submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God. And he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. (laughs) Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Friends, hear me. 
That's powerful language, right? Maybe even it sounds a bit extreme. We need to remember that James is writing to people here for whom the gospel was brand new, right? First generation in a culture, in a society at the times had a very, very low value on human life. And also this language needs to be understood within the context of first century Hebrew culture. But nonetheless, the message is clear. In Christ, God invites us to come to him, to find him, to enter into his mercy and grace, acceptance, and his restoration. But to do so, we have to be willing to lay down our cards, right? to surrender our pride, to have openness of heart. We must be humble. So, today, and I'm, trust me, I'm saying this to myself, friends, if we seek, if you are seeking to know the wisdom of God, to experience the presence and the goodness of God, what do you need to lay down? And maybe it's not much. Right? Maybe you're in a very, very healthy spiritual place. And that's wonderful. But maybe there's something that you know, maybe somebody else does, maybe it's just you yourself, that you're carrying right, that place of pride. Maybe it's a place of brokenness that's being protected by our pride. The Christ is calling us to surrender to Him so that we may enter into the pleasantness of the knowledge of God, right? the blessings of knowing Christ and His love for us. With that thought, let me pray. Jesus, I thank you so much for, for this word to us. Lord, may our hearts, may our minds be open to how your spirit would take this and make application within our own stories. Jesus, we thank you. Amen.